0: This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. This is a new episode of Rocks to Roots Conservation Conversations from the Backyard to the Back Forty. I'm your host Hillary, and as always, joined with me is my co-host Dwayne.
1: Hey, hey, how's everybody doing,
0: Dwayne? How are things going up at the farm?
1: Oh, it's going great. We're uh, in full swing up at the farm, uh, harvesting as much vegetables as possible in order to bring it to our community, and um, yeah.
0: Awesome. And your guys' we- farm stand is open, correct?
1: Yeah, it is. So we have a farm stand open up on the on the farm itself on Wednesdays three to seven, and Saturdays nine to one. So if you're looking for some nutritionally dense, uh, fresh, organically grown food, come stop by.
0: Awesome. And you guys are located where? Oh, I totally
1: forgot my address. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, Just
0: right off the Palouse Highway, off of. 57. We're located.
1: We're located uh, about uh, two miles up from Moran Perry on the Palouse uh, Highway there. Uh, the gates will be wide open. We have flags that uh, border each side of the gate and a big banner that lets you know where you're at that's in the farm. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, before we get into our interview, I just have a couple announcements that I want to make sure and tell you listeners about. The first announcement is that the Spokane Conservation District is hosting a conservation celebration on September 25th from 10 to 4 p.m. It's also going to be our 80th birthday party, so we'd love for you to stop by our new campus, which is located at 4422 East 8th Ave in the Spokane Valley. We're going to be hosting a children's scavenger hunt, some other children's science events during the morning, and then in the afternoon we'll be hosting a farmer's market with the South Spokane Farm Corridor members, and also be giving a presentation on our volunteer opportunities and other programs that we will be facilitating throughout the next year. And the second announcement I'd like to make is that we at this time are still planning to host our Farm and Food Symposium. That will be happening November 5th and 6th downtown at the Centennial Hotel. And this year's keynote speaker is gonna be Ray Archuleta. He is a certified professional soil scientist with the Soil Science Society of America. Ray has over 30 years experience as a soil conservationist, a water quality specialist, and a conservation agronomist with NRCS. We are super excited to host Ray this year as he speaks to a vast audience, um, encouraging and helping them achieve their regenerative agriculture goals and objectives. So stay tuned. Make sure you check out our website, spokanecd.org, for more info on both of those events that are coming up. All right, well today we are excited to be sitting down with Natalie Towson. Natalie works with the Spokane Regional Health District, and she also is on the board for the Spokane Food Security Coalition. And so Natalie, we are so happy to have you here, thank you. Thank you, it's great to be here. <laughs> So, tell us a little bit about your background and how you first became involved with the Spokane Regional Health District.
2: Sure. Well, um, starting off very young, health and nutrition values were instilled in me by my parents and my family culture. Uh, My mother grew up in poverty on a farm in eastern Canada, and my father grew up in modest conditions from immigrant parents in California. So our family traditions were based on scratch-made meals, family gatherings, and conversations around the kitchen table, and the value of healthy lifestyle, healthy active lifestyles. So um, with all that, I gravitated to nutrition and um, went to UC Davis and got a deeper understanding in grad school on therapeutic nutrition where I got my dietetic um, degree in nutrition, and then I also did my master's in public health, and it really opened my eyes to food systems and population nutrition. But what inspired me to go into public health nutrition, as opposed to clinical nutrition, was my dietetic internship at the Veterans Hospital. And I noticed that many of the veterans or had amputations, and I thought, oh my goodness, there's so many explosions, you know, and mines that they must have walked on, and I just felt sick, like, this is so sad. And I decided to just, as part of being in the medical field, you review charts to be able to understand blood values and how the patient is doing and other comorbidities. But what I noticed was nothing being mentioned about losing a limb in war, but rather it was uncontrolled diabetes that they had lost circulation, their legs had become gangrene, and they'd have to amputate. And I thought, oh my goodness, I need to be on the prevention end of things. I can't be seeing patients after they've lost limbs to diabetes. Wow.
0: Very interesting. So... Tell us a little bit more about the Spokane Food Security Coalition and why you felt the need to um, form this group. Well, I think everyone remembers
2: um, January, February, March of 2020 when um, we had the official order in March to stay home and stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, paralysis struck, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if you were in your car, it was like being in a desert there were no vehicles on the road. Right. And at that point in time, food pantries shut down. They weren't answering their phones. Um, schools and childcare were shutting down, so children didn't have access to meals. Um, there were meal site closures for senior meals, for women and children, and for the homeless. And I went to work at the Emergency Operations Center, and um, it was just chaos. And we realized that if people don't eat, we're going to have not only nutritional problems and health problems, but we're going to have riots. Mm -hmm. We're going to have social unrest. And something had to happen. So we started um, bringing all the food security members together and having daily, then every few day conversations on what's happening on the ground, what are you doing, and really trying to connect each other with the reality of the day and um, started assessing what the needs were. So the first one was people could not get to food, so there was a need for food delivery. Another one was when we were working with the zone in particular that people needed to get foods that would nourish not only their bodies, but also that were familiar, so culturally mm-hmm. appropriate foods. Right? And from that, we had gathered up about... 40 to 50 organizations who became uh, came together to form the coalition.
0: Wow, 40 to 50 different groups. That's awesome. That's a big group. Yeah, wonderful.
1: And when you say that, what do you mean uh, culturally specific foods?
2: Well, um, if you're a Muslim, eating pork is just taboo. You wouldn't eat pork. So if you get a food box with canned ham in it, even if it's in the can, you basically it's, it's not okay to eat it because it was in the midst of everything else. So it's just really strong cultural and, and religious beliefs that without being aware of you can inadvertently um, really turn people off or make them feel like a tough choice between uh, respecting their religion and having food. So that's just one example. Another gotcha. one, which a lot of people were having problems with, was found finding flour to bake bread. But for many people, it was a stress release, whereas in other cultures, having naan or a, an unleavened bread was a fundamental part of the daily meal. So that, too, was a huge setback for families that were accustomed to being able to make their bread daily. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And so... I want to be, I, I want to hear from you, really, what does food insecurity mean? You know, I'm so glad you asked because
2: in government, oh. <laughs> we make up all these strange words that people can't relate to. Right. Um, you know, back in the day, we just called it hunger. And mm-hmm. to be quite honest, there's this amazing organization called Frameworks, And they're saying, go back to the word hunger, because people understand that. They understand that when you're hungry, it's a very real visceral feeling. And it leads to not only desperation, but inability to think and function. So that is, you know, one way to look at it. But there is a USDA definition that I think is not too bad that I actually use. And that is looking at food security. So flip it around. So food security is having enough food for an active and healthy life for all people all the time. So for me, that makes sense. So when you don't have enough food to be healthy and active, then you're food insecure. Okay. And then um, there's a there are gradations from low food security to very low food security. And it has to do with the number of days per month that
0: you don't have enough to eat, basically. Mm-hmm. So what would you say are, like, the top factors um, that contribute to food insecurity? Just... Well, I think um,
2: we're learning more and more, and I think the whole community is learning more and more about this thing called social determinants of health. And so we live in these systems that do a lot of different things, and, and the food system is one. And it, um, having vets on the farm here is great because it starts with growing and then you have to process it, at least pick it and sort it. And then Mm -hmm. you have to get it to market and then um, you consume it. And then whatever isn't consumed, you have to figure out what to do with that. Unfortunately, a lot of it is thrown away. Mm -hmm. So we have that food system and there are a lot of players that come in throughout that cycle. Well, when we look at health, Health is not just going to the doctor. In fact, that's not our health system. That's our medical system. That's what patches us up typically. Mm -hmm. So when we look at what determines health, we're looking at things like um, having a house to live in, a, a location to live in, a roof over your head so that you're protected from the elements, you're safe, you can sleep at night without nightmares, you know, so there's housing. Then there's looking at education, are people given a chance to learn and to thrive that way. Um, Economics, well, having a stable home, having good education, chances are you're going to get a living or more chance of having a living wage job, which means that you can succeed in our society the way it is set up. So these social determinants of health are everything from food to housing to access to any kind of health care to... economic opportunities.
0: So you are also um, a member of the Spokane Food Policy Council. And um, I'm wondering how, um, I'm I'm guessing this is one of those 30-40 groups that has contributed to the Spokane Food and Security Coalition. And so um, I guess for me, how do you guys work together? What is that relationship like? That's a great question because I'm actually on both <laughs> of these <laughs> groups <Yeah.
2: laughs> and there are a few others that are on both groups. Yeah. And, um, you know, your question's really timely because it's something that we are grappling with and trying to figure out, okay, we all share common interest. What makes us different? But more importantly, how do we work together? Mm-hmm. Because we have limited bandwidth, limited funding, mm-hmm. So um, the Food Policy Council, and I was part of it at the very beginning as well, uh, but the idea is, is really policy. So in terms of policy, we're looking at what are the laws, what are the requirements that impact how we live. So the Farm Bill, for instance, is huge. Um, looking at comprehensive plans and how is land, arable land, protected so that we don't lose all our farmland. Well, that's a policy that decides that. Mm-hmm. So ideally, it's looking at these policies and being able to interject and, um, and uh, influence them in such a way that we protect and create a resilient and sustainable um, food system. However, as part of the mission of the Food Policy Council, they also have something around initiatives. So they're also interested in initiatives. For instance, food processing, meat in particular, and, you know, even something as simple as being able to cut produce. Mm -hmm. For instance, Link has butternut squash that they have local Inland Northwest Cooperative where they have to send their produce to Montana to have it chopped, bagged, frozen, and brought back here because we don't have the facility for small farms oh, to wow. do that. So they're looking at some of those things. So they touch on food security because it's all related, but the Food Security Coalition is really looking at all the partners doing kind of the boots on the ground work, getting food to people, so hunger organizations, um, and um, for instance, Catholic Charities, they go a little broader because they help create, like, raise beds in housing units and to give people an opportunity to learn to grow food. Mm-hmm. The intersection is really when you come to resiliency and sustainability because with food security, unless you preserve the land, unless you teach people how to grow food, unless people know how to eat this amazing local food, then you can't have food security. It can't be sustainable. And that's where we're trying to figure out who does what and how do we come together and just be efficient. And actually um, WSU extension and even you guys, the conservation district, (laughs) um, we really want to all get together and talk and just not necessarily carve out our
0: own spaces, but figure out how do we come together to help this community. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And my motto is always the more people at the table, the better it's going to be because it's just like a web of resources and, you know, making those connections. And so that's exciting. You can definitely sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good.
1: (laughs) And building off of that, is there a a place in there where the local farmer can come and, you know, put their voice as well?
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, there's, There's always opportunity um, when it comes to um, policy work. And if you're interested, we can get you on the Food Policy Council listserv. And that goes out to a few hundred people. And there are a lot of active farmers who chime in on what policies they're very interested in seeing passed. Um, The other thing, though, is with farmers, unless your voice is held up and raised, it's kind of like even public health. Prior to COVID, public health was just like ah, it's that weird building with the four domes. <laughs> but <laughs> no, public health does a lot. Um, so yeah, same thing with farming.
1: And can you uh, can you kind of share with us some of the statistics you found regarding food insecurity here in Spokane?
2: Well, you know what's interesting is um, a lot of the food security data sources. As you can imagine, trying to get statistics on how many people are hungry and how many are children, how many are people of different uh, religious communities or ethnic communities, these studies take time. So um, there are some sources like Map the Meal Gap um, from Feeding America, but it's typically a couple of years behind but I do have some actual COVID-related statistics. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, Washington State University and the University of Washington have done three different food surveys, and um, we were told that if we got enough respondents, we would have our very own report. And so there is a Spokane County report that um, summarizes what 354 people said. Very small sample size, less than Mm -hmm. 1% of our county uh, population. So we have to keep that in mind. But there were pretty high levels of very low food insecurity and low food insecurity, um, which were during that time. And I feel comfortable acknowledging that those people were truly feeling that. I still don't know on a population-wide, county-wide, What our percent was, but during that time, one of our community coalition members, Spokane Mobility Services, um, applied for some grant funding through the CARES Act for Spokane County. And what they did is they created a one-call delivery food delivery program, and with that program, they had sixty-seven hundred people participate in one month. And actually, it was three weeks because it took a week to get it up and going, which was miraculous. Nice. Holly Chilinski is amazing. <laughs> and from those people, they entered, they answered a lot of questions about, like, what was going on? Why did they need this food? And I don't have my statistics right here, but um, many people, one of the big issues were that they just either had COVID and they had to stay home. They couldn't get groceries. Or they had—they were mobility impaired. They lacked transportation to be able to go. Um, or they were afraid to go out and get food because their health condition, they were so frail. Um, and then um, the biggest one of all was they just didn't have the money to be able to buy the food. Gotcha. And you know how sometimes people say, oh, you know... People don't appreciate when they get things. We found the exact opposite. Even though we were getting food from sources, a lot of shelf-stable foods, people were so grateful. They're like, anything helps. Thank you so much. And what we also noticed were that families were, more and more families were coming to live together, so multiple generations. And you know if your income doesn't go up how do you all of a sudden go from feeding
1: one or two to feeding five
2: mm-hmm.
1: so and this program you're talking about was this the SMS program yes all right so i heard it was over 80,000 pounds of food
2: that's right all right yeah good. yeah and, and we had some farm food farm fresh food in that as fresh well well yes yep.
1: great program wonderful good does that um does that apply to someone who um well, first off, is that program going to still be around once the CARES Act ends?
2: Well, it was only funded for one
1: month. Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So what was great is that the proof of concept was solidified. This works. Um, but now, um, you know, it's a matter of going after funding and, and really trying to make a systems change, which takes a lot of time lot and of time.
1: effort. Yeah. And those people that were being helped uh, through that program, where would they go now if, they, uh, if everything continues the way it is and they're still food insecure?
2: Well, one thing that happened at the beginning of COVID was that, as I mentioned, the food pantries, which are the little food banks. So technically they're pantries, and the big banks are Northwest Harvest and Second Harvest. Those are the big banks. So the pantries had shut down. One of the main reasons was that the average age of a volunteer in a pantry is at least 65, if not close to 70, so high risk. But they shut down because all of a sudden you weren't supposed to have people going into your facility, right? And it wasn't until Second Harvest was able to actually, the state was divided into three regions, and Second Harvest had Eastern Washington, and all the food, there were big food banks covering each of the regions. And with that came CARES funding. To be able to purchase boxes, because all of a sudden everything had to go into a box, mm-hmm. get a huge supply of shelf stable foods more than ever, because Second Harvest has actually pivoted and gone to doing more produce. Um, and so, and then they needed person power, manpower, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened? Do you remember? National Guard came in. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the National Guard that they were able to box up hundreds and thousands of boxes of food get them out efficiently, not only in mass mobile market distributions, but also to all their little, their main pantries, their 21 emergency pantries. Gotcha. Okay. And then the pantries did the, the, the trunk, you know, drive through, we'll put the food in the
0: trunk. So. Mm-hmm. Which you did a program like that with the yes. Inland Northwest Farmers Market Association, the family, farmers, farms to families food box program. Yes.
1: We, uh, we worked with them we, we, um, Moved boxes with Big Dina, our truck, and uh, took it out to uh, just different areas where people were in need. So yeah, it was a fantastic program.
2: I have I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because you're sta- you're sitting across the table from me, but I have never seen a more exquisite, amazing food box than those farm to you know community boxes. They were beautiful.
0: Yeah. yeah. How many pounds in each of those boxes? I think they got up to like. Like 30, for like 30 pounds or something? Uh,
1: depending, especially when it had the milk, it kind of went up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, 30 to 40 pounds a box. And then we would be, in Dina alone, just us at Vets and the Farms, we were moving uh, 200 to 500 boxes in our truck. And then, of course, in the Northwest Farmers Market Association, they still had thousands of boxes or a large number of boxes there pushing uh, as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: It really was great to see how community – came together in that time, um, last year. Um, so going kind of back to the statistics, I, I want to ask, is there a more vulnerable, vulnerable group, um, when it comes to food insecurity or is it really just across the board? Well, I think a couple things, um,
2: what we know, And it's finally been blatantly clear that everyone must acknowledge it is that communities of color are at higher risk. Mm -hmm. And this is across the board. It's across the board with COVID infections, but it's also across the board for chronic disease. And it was as well across the board for food insecurity. That said... One thing that we've always known, even before we've disaggregated data, is that children have always been the most vulnerable when it comes to food insecurity because they're entirely dependent on what their parents can provide right. or their ability to get food at school or somewhere else.
0: So what would you say are the some of the biggest challenges and or resources that you need currently? Well, um, I can say...
2: Okay, so one of the biggest challenges is getting the word out to all these most vulnerable communities on how to access um, various food security programs. In particular, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, is one that um, if you are a legal citizen... um, you can have access to. It's a little trickier if your immigration status is questionable. So you have to be here with some sort of permit. And I just read something that you have to be here several years before you qualify. So that's tricky. Hmm. Um, WIC, however, the Women, Infant, and Children's Program, has none of those requirements. And WIC is one of the most underutilized nutrition programs that we have. Oh, wow. And it's... From a dietitian's point of view, it's one of the most nutrient-dense programs just because specific foods, only specific foods are approved. Fruit and vegetables, milk, dairy, cereal, things like that, grains. Mm-hmm. So can't get a bag of chips, <laughs> but you can definitely feed your children and, and make sure they're healthy.
1: So yeah. speaking about nutritional, nutritionally dense food, when it comes to um, Food insecurity. Is there a line drawn there, whether or not you're eating, you know, 25 cent ramen all day long, or you're eating nice, good, healthy vegetables? Um, if you can have boxes of ramen, are you still, are you now good, or are you still food insecure?
2: Well, if we go back to the food security definition that I brought up earlier, I think that's why I really like that definition is because it's having enough food to be healthy and active, and um, your health will deteriorate over time if you're trying to survive only on ramen. It's just not adequate. So um, it will take a bit, though, especially for a younger person to show. But, like, energy level would probably wane, especially if that's the only thing because it's a zero-fat diet. Mm -hmm.
0: high high sodium, but no fat if you're just having ramen. yeah. So I want to ask this question just because we do have a farmer in the room. Um, So I know that, like, vets on the farm, they grow local nutrient dense foods, but it's also their work. And so I know that they are, you know, very giving and want to share, you know, as much of their production as they can with their, the community. Um, but it's, it's also their job. So I'm wondering how is it, or in a perfect world, how would it be where, you know, the farmer's getting paid to grow and Produce the this great food, and then it gets, you know, to organizations like yours where it can support, um, you know, food insecurity or help with the in food insecurity problem. Well, um, this is a partial answer. Um,
2: there is a market match program for farmers' markets, okay. which means that if someone provides $20 of their SNAP benefits, they can match it with $20 of farmer's market match. So basically they invest $20 of their budget, Mm -hmm. SNAP budget, and they walk away with $40 worth of local foods. And that's probably one of the most powerful government programs we have to honor farmers and to get people to the market. Because at a farmer's market, there's a better likelihood that prices are a little closer to what it takes to grow the food compared to mass-produced foods Mm -hmm. that you see in a grocery store or a discount grocery store. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that WIC, the WIC program, and it's ending in, I believe it's end of September, had an extra $35 per person per month of fruit and vegetables as part of their budget, and they could also use that um, in a farmer's market setting. So there are some really nice programs that, we're more focused on local foods. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. And it's so disturbing and sad that our society does not value the core services that are fundamental to people's health and well-being. Mm-hmm. So growing high-quality, nutrient-dense, healthy food, um, being in childcare where you teach and nurture children – to build resiliency, and to have good mental health and coping strategies so they can deal with life and succeed. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at nursing aides, the people who are there, you know, doing the the jobs that no one wants but who are actually creating the most um, close contact and support for the people who are suffering. So, And there are many, many examples. But that is just how our society has been set up. It's considered low skill, but in reality, it's the most important work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I feel lucky to live in a, in Spokane, and I think we have a great community, but um, who really should be responsible for addressing hunger and food insecurity in our communities?
2: If we're looking at the the greater good, for our community to have a thriving community, mm-hmm. um, we would all want to take a part of this responsibility. True. Sure. Um, every organization, every business, um, every entity would want to be able to do something that would support the health and well-being of our community. Mm-hmm. The reality is that we are, um, you know, a, a community uh, an organization, uh, a country that is driven by money, Mm -hmm. and that is how we value people's work, and, you know, how we decide and pay and uh, vote for what we think is important. Right. And people like to make more money, so you want to invest your money where more money is generated. (laughs) So,
0: anyway, yeah, um, that's a tough question. Yeah. Um, So, let me switch gears, and... Let's talk about some of the other local organizations that you work closely with to help boost um, the work of, the, of this group. Who are they and how are those relationships? Um, the relationships are great because they're all really
2: committed to um, food security and, and the overall health of our community. So I mentioned Catholic Charities. Mm-hmm. They have a great model. Um, There are several community partners that are funded through SNAP Education, Supplement and Nutrition Education, and they are in multiple organizations. Um, We talked about Spokane Mobility Services. We have not only the big pantries, but we also have um, organizations like SNAP, the Spokane Neighborhood Association Program. Uh, two one one. We have the schools. N- the nutrition director from Spokane Public Schools is a part of the group. Um, it, it's just everyone we could think of that has anything to do with food. We have people from the homeless coalition, senior meals program, Greater Spokane Meals on Wheels, and also Spokane um, Senior Meal Program. So it's we have people from childcare. Um, yeah, it's. All across the board. (laughs) It's across the board because it affects all people. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And then um, I guess the one area that we could really use some more um, support, but it's tricky, is most of the people who are part of the coalition, one way or another, they're employed and their employment allows them to spend time on this. Uh, But we really do need more um, people of color, color, people with different religious and ethnic backgrounds to be a voice. But to do them justice, we need to be able to have a stipend for their time. And this committee has no budget, per se. It's just everyone providing a little bit of their time. And that's why we go after grants.
0: So, tell us a little bit about some of the ongoing and current work um, that your group facilitates to raise awareness in our community about food insecurity.
2: Well, we spent the last six months working on a strategic plan, and uh, that was a big part of our time and energy. Mm -hmm. Um, We went, you know, did all the Typical things, doing uh, interviews with people from all sectors of the food system. We um, did research on what's currently happening in our area, what are the programs that exist, and did a gap analysis to see where we're weakest. Um, We did uh, best practice research to see models that would be encouraging and interesting that we'd like to aspire towards. Um, And then from there, we listed a whole bunch of initiatives and um, divided them up into categories and ended up with, what, like six main categories, which we have turned into working groups and now are in the process of of figuring out who wants to be in which working group. And Mm -hmm. then those groups will decide if we don't have enough capacity to take on six, we'll take on as many as we can. And then of the 10 to 15 priorities, uh, if a group can consolidate around one or two, then that's great. And we're going to start with six to eight month um, working groups so that people can commit and see where we can get in that amount of
0: time. And uh, what would be just a few of like those categories for those working groups? Yeah, so uh, one is increase the amount of
2: local organic local and organically produced foods and access to those foods. Another one is um, looking at uh, delivery. How do we create a delivery service that is sustainable and that helps meet the needs of the people who are least able to get to food sources? Um, We're also looking at um, food pantries and food banks and how do we look to organize them in such a way that They are um, more proactive about being responsive Mm -hmm. to populations that are at greatest need. Um, And then there's a group that is interested in education and awareness raising. So it could be anything from how to grow and cook and sell food to um, uh, just community awareness about local foods, which the Spokane had a local food campaign. Uh, but the other one is, you know, education on minimizing food waste mm-hmm. and composting so that it just doesn't get thrown away. Um, there's another one on um, food processing to see what it would take to explore the possibility of having pr- more food processing in our area.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yeah,
1: uh, That's a huge... Yeah,
0: that's big. big time.
1: Uh, if someone was interested and had the big heart and just wasn't worried about a stipend but wanted to get involved in one of those groups uh, would they just contact you or would yeah they a different
2: route? yeah they can contact me um and so my I don't know if we're going to have my email available but my Spokane Regional Health District email is just my first initial last name and Tazen at Spokane Regional Health District just abbreviated srhd.org So ntosin at srhd.org. And um, we are creating, we have created a Facebook page, but I'm working with an AmeriCorps to make sure that it's visible to everyone. (laughs) So that's soon to come. But, yeah, he's been a great help
1: on that. And how can our uh, listeners and community members get involved in trying to solve the food access crisis in Spokane County?
2: Well, um, you know, volunteers are... Are always helpful. So, especially if we can get it to a community level, um, they can volunteer in their food pantry. They can see what they can do in terms of getting the word out if they have their own Facebook pages. Some neighborhoods have Facebook pages, so if they're aware of resources, um, they can um, donate money to what they want to donate to. Um, For instance, if there's a meal program and they want to donate you know, X amount of money to help their food budgets, stretch their food budgets. Um, so it's really, there isn't one central location, but there are agencies that are sort of part of all that. So there's the Women and Children's Free Restaurant, always looking for donations. Uh, Second Harvest is always looking for volunteers and donations. Um, you know, there's no reason why vets on the farm can't be asking for donations and uh, connecting more with Uh, having high quality food go to people who can't afford the food on their own. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. Well, Natalie, this has been a fantastic discussion. I have learned a lot and um, yeah, it's clear that improving food access um, to healthy foods and just getting that to our community members um, requires action on several levels. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you being here. And so, for those listeners that want to learn more and want to get um, involved with the Food Security Coalition, um, is there a website or I believe you have a Facebook page as well? Yeah. So the
2: website, um, we don't have yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my email is ntausen at srhd.org. And uh, the Facebook page will be Spokane County Food Security Coalition. So it's a mouthful. (laughs) Not very catchy. Um, And so it's remembering county, so Spokane County Food Security Coalition. Um, And we hope to get that page up and and active um, within the next couple weeks.
1: I just wanted to ask because I came across some really interesting apps on my phone. Uh, Were you involved in putting out the three, I think it's called Harvest, um, uh, Food Educate, and Healthy Out?
2: No, I okay. can't take credit for any okay. of that. But there are some great apps. I yes. agree. Okay. Yeah, and I think ideally that would be a great way to connect people to um, being able to help, to volunteer, to donate. So, um, you know, basically, I don't know if you remember the Food Fighter program that Marcus Riccelli organized. They orchestrated that through an app. So, yeah, nice. apps are definitely the way to go.
1: Got to get on the technology wave, right? Absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, Natalie, at the end of our episode, we always like to do what we call a spitfire round, and it's just a way for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Are you up for it? Sure. Okay. Let's see. Dogs or cats? I used to be a cat
2: person (laughs) until I had a dog, (laughs) and there's no going back now. I've got a 12-year-old black lab that is an absolute
0: sweetheart, and I feel so connected with him. So dogs... (laughs) <laughs> oh, love it. Um, let's see. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why?
2: Oh, boy. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably live in Switzerland in the mountains, and I would live there
0: because I'd want easier access to the rest of the world. Nice. Right. Oh, Switzerland. Yeah, that's awesome. I just came back from Colorado, and there's nothing like being in mountains and mm-hmm. that mountain air. Yes.
1: <laughs> All right. So that's talking about travel. You know, we got to bring it home. Okay. What's your favorite movie, and do you have a quote from it?
2: Oh, my goodness. Now you're really testing me. So I have not seen a movie in a really, really long Documentaries time. Documentaries count. <laughs> and so I will go with um, Netflix because that's very accessible. Yeah. And geez, I don't know about the quote, but you're gonna—it's just gonna reveal what a nerd I am. It's called the Human Body, and it's a series. They have five or six different things, and they explore the science, human stories, uh, computer animation graphics to illustrate it of the human body. And they take like one system after another, um, and it's just mind-blowing how well it's done, how understandable it is for the layperson with no science background. And there was one on uh, the five senses. And this woman was born hard without any ability to hear. And she taught herself how to sing using her phone where she could make a sound and it would show her what notes she was singing. And then she would mark with a marker where on her throat the sound was emanating from so that she could repeat it. And she taught nice. herself to sing. Wow. But it was... I mean, I'm a geek. I, I love that kind of stuff. It's so good. Well, no you made quotes. me feel
1: better because I actually do have that in my queue list. It's very far down right now, but <laughs> I have to go back to it. Okay. Check it out.
0: Um, let's see. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Hmm. I was going to say clairvoyant, but
2: I think I would go crazy <laughs> with being able to to perceive and visualize everything. So, superpower um I would say the ability to instantly get into a super calm meditative state regardless of anything going on and have total faculties, my total faculties ability to concentrate And to think clearly. But that's not like a traditional superpower. Yeah, that's a great one, though. (laughs) I'm I'm keeping that one in my back pocket
0: for sure. All right. And then one that we ask all of our guests, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Ah, Beatles. The White Album all the way. Yes. Awesome. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Make sure that you go and check out the Spokane Food Security Coalition and um, offer up some volunteer work, help them out with some donations, and let's uh, solve this food insecurity problem all together as a community. Thanks for listening, everybody. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.